Well, hello. Have you ever watched the State of the Union address? It's quite something to watch. The one part that I really enjoy about watching to see the honorees and the people that the president chooses to recognize and honor by giving them audience and saying their name during the State of the Union. It's quite an honor when a citizen is going to get a Congressional Medal of Honor. It might be done during an event such as the State of the Union, where not only the president and the joint Congress, but the whole nation can see that this person is being honored with the Congressional Medal of Honor. When we think of honor, we think of medals, awards, positions of authority, and positions of power. We all like to get honored. We all like to earn awards, win the prize, take first place, or be recognized for a job well done. Living brightly has an element of honor in it. And we're gonna talk about honor today, but we're not just gonna talk about getting an award or getting a special seat at a banquet. We're going to talk about how God sees honor and what God calls us to do with honor. This is the Living Brightly podcast with Elaine Cross. Thanks for joining me. This is the fifth in a series of podcasts defining what it means to live brightly. Jesus told us to let our light shine, but what does that mean? Well, I've taken the word brightly and broken it down letter by letter, one letter at a time. We're investigating what it means to live brightly. So what begins with H? Honor. If this is your first, I suggest you go back and listen to the previous four episodes, starting with B, Believer, and work your way up. This is the first and a second set that represent our relationship with the people around us. Honor is key to those relationships. Thanks for joining me. First, we're going to look at the three-branded cord of honor. The character of God exudes honor. God is quite the gentleman, and he is to be revered and held in a position of honor. And although we strive to do that, he has also given us an example. He doesn't just tell us to honor him. He shows what honor means. He exemplifies honor. When God created the Garden of Eden, he put in the middle of the garden two trees the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. Now, God created man and put him in the garden, but God didn't want a bunch of Stetford wives or robots. God wanted us to love him by choice. So he put those trees smack dab in the middle of the garden. He could have put those trees way out in the middle of the field or behind a bunch of other trees, in the center of a grove of trees. He could have put it on the other side of a large hill or mountain. He could have put the trees near a cave or some very difficult place to get to. But he didn't hide the choices that Adam had. He didn't hide the option. He only 
asked that we not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but eat freely of the tree of life. Well, that didn't work out so well, but God wasn't surprised. He kind of knew we would, because in essence, he wanted us to have a full relationship with him. And Satan came along and implied that we were not made in his likeness and in his image, because Satan's first lie wasn't, you will not die if you eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The lie was, you will be equal with God. In reality, we weren't equal with God, but we were as God. We were made in his likeness and in his image, but we thought we could have more. We thought we could be God without God, and that didn't work. God created us physical and spiritual. We have a physical body, and we have a spiritual spirit, and we live in this duality of realities. We could choose to allow the physical to control us, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and live for everything that the flesh desires. Or we can choose to live spiritual and be very heavenly focused, very spiritual focused, and really lose all connection with the average person. God doesn't want us to do either of those things. He wants us to live in the world, but not be of the world, to be physical, to recognize our physical body and use our physical self to bless all the other people in the earth while remembering that we are also spiritual and that we need that spiritual connection with him. But he ultimately gives us choice. He doesn't force us. He didn't create us to be mindless robots. He created us with free will, and he honored that by putting that choice before us in the Garden of Eden. And now we have the choice to either accept his offer of Jesus Christ to reconnect our relationship with him or not. And he is willing that any can choose any way. Now he would that all would choose life and all would choose to have a relationship with him, but he won't force us and he won't make you make that choice. It is a true, authentic choice. God also showed us how to honor when he sent Jesus to meet the high standard of his law, because you have to be sinless to be in God's presence. And although we were sinless before the fall, we've all participated in sin. And because that standard was set, there was no way that any one of us humans could reach that So he sent his son, Jesus, and he honored his standard. He honored the level of expectation to have a relationship, but provided a way for us to take advantage of what Jesus did on the cross. What a wonderful, what a wonderful God. By Jesus taking our place and honoring God's law, the way God established the world to work, He's showing us that there is honor in respecting others. There's honor in following the laws of the land, following the governments that God helped approve, and honoring each other and each other's free choices. That's God's example. In the second chord, we are called to honor our parents. And that's unique from all other types of honor in that, well, they're your parents. And we know that God commands us to do things that are not necessarily easy. They're not things that come about naturally or instinctively. 
you know, Sally's mom was really cool because your mom had those rules that you didn't like. Or Johnny's mom let you eat macaroni and cheese where your mom made you eat your vegetables. Our parents were charged with guiding us and teaching us, and they did the best they could. But before that, your parents partnered with God to bring you into this world, to create you. It is the one thing us humans 100% partner with God. We partner with God to bring children into this world, to create more people. That is a profound mystery. And at the spark of conception, and they've seen this in test tubes when they've done in vitro fertilization, that when the sperm enters the egg, there is a spark, a touch of God that starts the whole thing in process. It's quite remarkable. God can't create more people without the help of moms and dads. And moms and dads can't really create children without the help of God. So we as children are called to honor our parents as our first real representative of our creator God. Now our parents are not perfect. Our parents are human, just like you and I. And you may have had great parents. You may have had, eh, okay parents. You may have had horrible parents or absent parents. It doesn't matter. We are called to honor them. Because even if they were horrible parents, they brought you into this world. I don't know if you have ever heard Joyce Meyer's testimony of her father and her mother. Her father sexually abused her for years, routinely, repeatedly, hundreds of times he abused her sexually. And when she got old enough, she left. That was that. And God used her and created a great ministry. And Joyce Meyer has ministered to thousands and thousands of women and men about how to live this life, given all the struggle, all the ick that we live through, and still honor God. And as her parents got older, she knew God was calling her to honor her parents in a personal way. And it was a stretch, and it was hard, but she knew she couldn't deny it. Eventually, she had to take over the financial care of her parents. And it would be easy for her to walk away and say, you know, my dad treated me worse than bad. And my mother knew what was happening and it wasn't strong enough to stop it. So I don't owe them anything. And in essence, she didn't. She didn't owe them anything, but God commanded her to honor them. And so as she put aside herself and honored God and then honored her parents, some miraculous things happened. And although she had had a powerful ministry for years, there was a higher level of peace, a higher connection she felt with God as she truly stepped into honoring her parents by taking care of them financially in their old age. She helped them in a time when even they couldn't understand why. And eventually her dad asked her, why are you doing this? And she said, I love God and God wants me to. And God loves you, even though you've done some horrible things in your life and you've treated me very badly. God still loves you. It pierced his heart to where he could finally hear the gospel. And he accepted Christ a few years before he died. And that's a huge testimony to her honoring her parents. And I don't know if you have parents like Joyce Meyer or if you have parents who were okay and you were raised in a Christian home. It doesn't matter. 
we are called to honor our parents because they partnered with God to bring you into the world. And that is a mighty wonderful thing because it gave you an opportunity to be here and in essence, accept Christ. So that is the second chord of honor. And the third chord of honor in this three-branded chord is to honor others. It might be one of the easiest to honor others, but just as it's easy to honor those who earn it and deserve it, we're not limited just to them. And this is where it requires faith and trust in God, is to honor others regardless of who they are. You know, Jesus gave us an example of honoring our parents. Jesus's first miracle took place because Mary asked him to solve a problem that he alone could solve. Jesus was not ready, and he said it wasn't really his time yet. And Mary didn't push. She didn't beg. She simply looked at the people around her and said, do whatever he tells you, and walked away. Jesus stepped in and did what needed to be done. And I don't know if you've guessed it yet, but yes, this is the miracle of turning water into wine for a wedding. It was several years earlier when he was 12, they had gone to Jerusalem for the Passover. Mary and Joseph and the rest of the people they were with left and Jesus stayed behind in the temple and they didn't realize for three days. Jesus stayed in the temple and Mary and Joseph had to come back and find him. And when Mary found him, he was in the temple. He was discussing scripture with the scribes and the Pharisees and the men of the temple. And she scolded him and she said, what are you doing? And Jesus said, don't you know I'm about my father's business? And she basically told him, not yet, you're not. (laughs) And he honored her there and he returned with her and continued to learn and grow. And we didn't hear anything else from him until the wedding. His first public miracle was at the wedding. When Mary told him, you can fix this. So although Mary knew it wasn't his time when he was 12, at 30, it was the right time. And he honored her. He honored his mother, even at 30 years old, and did what she asked him to do and changed the world. Now, of course, he would have done some other miracle or maybe he had done some other miracles before. But I don't think it's a surprise and I don't think it's a mistake that the first miracle was at the request of his mother because he was honoring his mother. She was his flesh and blood. She was his biological mother, and he honored her. When we honor people, we think of awards, but God doesn't think of awards. God thinks of the heart, and more importantly, God thinks of the person as an individual. We've talked about mothers and fathers partnering with God to bring children into the world. But if you think back just a few minutes before that, We talked about the fact that God created man, meaning men and women, human beings, in his likeness, in his image. And if we're to honor God, isn't it important that we remember that? The way you treat the representative of another reflects how you view the person they're representing as honorable or contemptible. If you treat the mayor's representative with contempt, You're exposing your own contempt for the mayor. So how do we honor the representatives of God? We need to honor everyone created in his image, called by his name. God would have everyone accept the offer of Jesus Christ. Now he knows they won't, but it doesn't mean he didn't partner in their creation. 
It doesn't mean he didn't help make them in his likeness and in his image, meaning physical and spiritual. In Hebrews, it tells us we should honor the marriage because when we honor marriage, we honor God. Well, that's that union of husbands and wives, mothers and fathers. But in Proverbs 14, we're also told to be kind to the needy is to honor God. Well, the needy are not necessarily the people we think of when we think about giving awards. They're not our bosses. They're not our supervisors. They're not someone with whom some blessing or advancement could come. Honor doesn't just go up. Honor should go out to everyone. It's easy to honor those who have something to offer us. It's a little difficult to honor those who are in authority over us, but we understand the consequence of not honoring them could come back to cause us our own problems. So we do it because we know it's important. Honor starts with self-control. One of the most fundamental ways to honor God is to use self-control. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, you can honor God with your body, meaning using self-control. In 1 Thessalonians 4.4, it says, controlling yourself honors God. Well, how do you control yourself? How do you exert self-control? And how do you honor God with your body? Well, we honor God with our body just as we would honor someone who has authority over us. If you lead yourself well, just as if your boss leads the company well, then it's easier to honor not only yourself, but others around you. When the company casts a vision for where they want to be five and 10 years down the road, it's easier to honor the boss when the boss makes decisions because you know the decisions are geared toward getting you to complete the vision. If you don't make any vision for yourself, if you don't make any plan for where you are going to be in five years, 10 years down the road, if you don't have a vision of entering heaven and hearing Jesus say, Come here, friend. I've been waiting. I'm so excited to see you. If you don't think in those terms, you don't necessarily think about every person that you encounter is someone you can take with you. Adam and Eve were told to fill the earth, to have babies and teach them in the way of God and train them up and guide them. Well, now that you have Christ, you can have spiritual children. And those spiritual children are the people that you can take with you to heaven. And if they would want to even follow you, depends on how you handle yourself. If you honor God by taking your own body into submission, by casting a vision for your life, by making a plan for where you want to be five and 10 years down the road, not just to climb the corporate ladder, but to change the world for Christ, to live brightly, to be the bright light in the darkness this world is full of to honor all those God puts in your path. That is living brightly. And that is reaching toward a destination that you have to have a vision for. So when you lead yourself, what does that look like? Honor is the skeleton that gives your godly leadership form and function. And if you're going to lead yourself towards serving God, you have to have a backbone of honor for all that God has created in you and in everyone around you. It's not just about getting the Congressional Medal of Honor during a State of the Union. It's about getting a well and done, my faithful servant. Look how you have populated heaven by pillaging hell 
all because you honored those I put in your life and I allowed to cross your path. Thank you. Mm. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to see. You can't take wealth. You can't take houses and cars. You can't take most of the things we spend our life working on. Even if you're an engineer and you design a rocket that gets to the moon, it means nothing when you leave this world. And I'm not saying that's not an honorable profession. It's important for us to serve God's children by using the gifts and the skills and the talents that he gave us. But if we're going to live brightly, if we're going to stand out like a city on a hill, if we are going to shine so bright that the people who are confused and lost and wandering around notice and say, hey, what do you have that I don't have? Because you seem to have something that I need and I want. We have to do it with honor. And honor starts at home. And honor continues with God. And then it ripples out to the whole of every person that you encounter. So how do you live brightly? You live with honor. Great honor for God. Honor for your parents. And honor for all of those that God puts in your life. Whether they be the needy and the widows or the CEOs and the powerful because we all need Jesus and we all need each other. Living brightly. Honor. Living brightly requires honor. This is the Living Brightly podcast with Elaine Cross and I'm Elaine. Thanks for joining me. Till next time.